Hey there, everyone, and welcome to the Vineyard Church Conversations, a space for healthy dialogue about the serious and the silly, a place to explore the sacred and beautiful things that make up our journey together. In this episode, Pastor Aaron will be interviewing Josh Armstrong, our missions pastor. Josh and Aaron are going to spend lots of time having conversation and giving updates about really cool things happening in Cote d'Ivoire or the Ivory Coast, as you may know it, and in Haiti as well. So thank you for joining us for the Vineyard Church Conversations. Let's jump right into it. Well, hey, everybody. Aaron McCarter here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can't look have, at me. I can have so much fun with if this. If you look I, at done, me I'm with done, that yeah. face the whole time, <laughs> we will not get this done, but it will take all day long. <laughs> uh, take two. <laughs> uh, uh, hey, everybody. Aaron McCarter here. I am with Josh Armstrong, our missions pastor. And Josh just got back from a missions trip to Africa, where there is a whole lot going on uh, with unreached people groups and disciple-making movements. And, you know, there's just, you know, often when Josh gets back from a trip, you know, we'll take two or three minutes on a Sunday and get an update. And it just seems like there's way too much great things, too many great things to report to try and fit it in a short update. So we wanted to have more of a long-form space here so that we could hear uh, the scoop. So, Josh, thanks so much for spending some time here with us. I guess you're really glad to be back home after how long were you gone? Yeah, it wasn't too bad, but uh, yeah, it was about 15 days. So, and that's longer than I had been. I'd been trying to keep them a little shorter for family purposes and all that, but yeah, glad to be back. 15 days sounds like forever to me. That sounds like a really, really long time to be gone, but I guess we have uh, maybe different metrics for what constitutes a long trip because you're a a world traveling type of guy. Um, as much as you've traveled, you've put a lot of miles in the last few years. So why don't we kick it off this way? Will you give us, uh, I mean, scare us, man. Tell us the worst horror story from traveling in the last, you know, couple years. Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, there's a bunch. I mean, worst in terms of, like, danger. I don't know. We were in Haiti recently, and uh, things have been really hot there. Some of you guys have probably kept up in the news with things going on. But, you know, saw dead bodies on the road recently and um, a lot of political violence and tension and yeah. driving through burning tires and all that. So that's always scary. But then I get as scared of certain... <laughs> you just ran through those three things <laughs> like they were normal <laughs> things for people to experience. Well, you know. My mind exploded every time you, with every single one on the list, but but continue. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I saw something pretty scary recently. It wasn't human scary, but it was scary for 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 like animals. I saw more chickens than I've ever seen in my life attached to a motorcycle that was getting ready to go down the road. And this guy, I was at a bus stop in Africa in, uh, in Cote d'Ivoire. And I saw this guy who was getting ready to transport them down the road and they were all alive, tied by their legs. There must've been 50 and I'm not exaggerating, <laughs> tied to a motorcycle. And so I'm sitting at this bus stop with my buddy, Danny, this, this guy from the Congo actually. And we're just shooting the breeze. And I said, Danny, there is so many chickens on that moto. And he was like, yeah, man, happens. And I said, yeah, I guess it does. And I turned around and was doing something like tying my shoe or something. And I turned back around and I saw in like in slow motion, the motorcycle falling. No. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was the most brutal, like just carnage. And so it wasn't bad for humans, but it was rough for the, 
the uh, <laughs> poultice population. Is it poultice? Is that the word I'm looking for? I have absolutely no idea. Poultry if that's population. The word you're looking no. for. I don't think it's poultice. So yeah, you see things like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm always uh, stunned by your stories, and having been with you in Haiti a while back, I've got a few stories of my own, like things that happened in Haiti. I was like, I can't tell my wife that that happened till like years later, um, because she will be like terrified in reverse just thinking of you know some of the things that we've that we've done together um hey man uh let me just say this i i so appreciate the way you go about doing ministry it's exciting doing ministry with you um and one the stories are great and two there's something there's something about you man you to do the type of things that you do to sign yourself up for the type of things that you sign yourself up for there's a there's a certain brand of crazy that it requires maybe a few different kinds of crazy that you happen to be um, that sends you off the mindset that goes, yes, here's this unreached people group, these people who throughout 2000 years of church history have not been reached with the gospel and then say, I'm, I'm going to go there. I'm going to take that on. Um, and there's something in me that if, if that rang in my ears to any degree as pride, like I will go and do with my cape flapping in the wind what no man before me could have done, then it would be the most off-putting thing. I would resent you deeply for it. And yet somehow, and I've looked for it, but there's just, to, to my judgment, not even a shred of that uh, in you. There's, there's this deep humility um, and it's paired with this incredible faith and passion for the Lord that I'm going to do whatever God puts me up to. And this just happens to be what he's put me up to doing. Um, so I, I really appreciate that about you. And I love that we get to do ministry together. I get to hear the stories. So anyway, speaking of speaking of the stories, um, can you give us like sort of a paint with a broad brush here and just tell us big picture here what's going on? Uh, in Africa, specifically uh, in the Ivory Coast, um, and the type of ministry that we're, we're trying to pioneer there. Yeah, so maybe here in a little bit, we'll talk about kind of the history of, of how it came to be. But as far as what we're doing, um, we had started uh, exploring something called DMM, which stands for Disciple Making Movements, uh, when we were missionaries in Haiti. And of course, this church uh, supported our family and a lot of Haitian partners as we did that. And, and that our uh, understanding of what DMM or Disciple Making Movements was evolved in our time there. And then we started to see, oh man, this is like what God is calling us to do with Muslims in West Africa. And so we, that's the main thing that we're doing in West Africa right now. And I, the main place we're working is Cote d'Ivoire, but we're not limited to that. We feel like God has called us specifically to Francophone West and North Africa. Francophone means meaning French-speaking West and North Africa, yeah. um, which in terms of uh, the, the evangelical circles and Protestant circles are relatively untapped compared to the Anglophone or English-speaking countries. Mm -hmm. And so we've taken this concept of DMM that we learned in Haiti uh, to um, Cote d'Ivoire, starting in Cote d'Ivoire, we believe it's a strategic place in reaching Francophone West and North Africa. And we essentially are using the disciple-making practices of Jesus um, and training and equipping solid leaders and catalytic persons of peace to go out and make disciples specifically amongst unreached Muslim people groups. And so there's a lot of things within that framework, but that's the gist of what we're doing. So, okay, just unpack that just a little bit. Uh, when you say you're going and doing the disciple-making things that Jesus did, um, what, what does that mean? Like if you, if you go and start a thing, what, 
what is the thing you're trying to start and how do you go about starting it? Yeah, there's just so many ways to, to uh, there's so many things to discuss when we're talking about that because um, not to, uh, not to speak ill of any mission strategy. There's so many good ones out there, but uh, the traditional uh, American and European missionary strategy seems to be go in and, and do all kinds of organizational stuff, and it's a very top-down approach. Um, and that just doesn't seem to be the way that Jesus did ministry, but instead Jesus focused on a few. He started slow in order to go fast later. Um, mm -hmm. It was multiplicative, um, and so the way he sought out persons of peace, which, by the way, were rarely ever the kind of persons of peace that I would have gone after if I were Jesus. Mm. He went after just the losers, right? And <laughs> not that we're going after losers in Cote d'Ivoire. That's not what I'm saying at all. But but Jesus did. He went after he went after the down and out, the broken in society, and he yeah. invested deeply in them, knowing that they would be persons of peace to reach others like them. And so there's such a stigma when it comes to reaching Muslims, for example. A lot of Christians mm. are afraid, and they, they, they say, good yeah. grief, I can never go to them. But the reality is, Jesus, I believe, if he were here today, would be going after the most marginalized and ostracized people, yeah, not only right. in our country, but certainly um, in other parts of the world. He'd be going after ISIS, man, <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever, the, fill, fill in the gap, the, the, the most scary of the scariest. Um, I think that's who Jesus has a heart for, the dirtiest of the dirty, uh, you know, fill mm -hmm. in the blank. Um, yeah, and so um, that's what we're, what we're trying to do. And, and, and let me just say this, with that, what we've found is just more of how dirty we are and how beautiful God's creation is, that the Imago Day is in the dirtiest of the dirty, that he cares mm -hmm. deeply about those that we never thought we could care about. And so uh, I've received more hospitality uh, from Muslims, to be honest, than I think I ever have in the United States. Wow. So some so, of your stereotypes have been busted oh, up a little bit? Busted up. The last people I ever wanted, to, the last type of people uh, I ever wanted to go to when I thought about doing mission work were Muslims because of all the stereotypes and just the what the I caricatures perceived, the caricatures yeah. the, the what I perceived is the blandness of culture huh. um, the lack of joy um, and there are aspects of that in some Muslim cultures just like there are frankly in some Christian cultures but what I found is just this kaleidoscope of uh, of culture um, in in you know, amongst Muslim people groups that I never would have known if I hadn't had the opportunity to go. So, yeah. yeah. So when you, when you step into uh, a village, what are the, what, what are you looking for? What are the first steps you're hoping to take? Persons of peace. Um, you know, everything that we do, including before we started to go to West Africa, we, we said, Lord, give us eyes to, to, to see what you're seeing and, and go where you're, um, where you're moving. And, um, and so on like more of a, step back bird's eye view uh, level of looking at what that means in Cote d'Ivoire, we said, okay, what, what strategic cities should we go to? And then with that, what strategic people should we walk with in relationship when we go into these villages? And then when we go into these villages, who are the persons of peace? And sometimes it's the chief of the tribe, and sometimes it's some lady who's been beaten. She's the fourth wife of some Muslim guy, and she gets beat every day of her life, mm. and she is the one who God uses to reap a harvest. And so a person of peace can be anybody. And just real quick to to speak to that. I mean, yeah, tell us what that is. Yeah. A couple of examples in scripture. There's a, there's a ton of them, but two that I go to a lot are the woman at the well, who's mm -hmm. this, uh, first of all, you know, a woman and a, uh, a sinful one at that as scripture talks about. And, and what is it? John chapter four, I believe. And, uh, and, um, 
somebody who has separated herself because of all of her sin from the rest of the village. And she's a Samaritan. And so there's all these things against her. And yet she's the one that Jesus has this spiritual conversation with that leads to the renewal of her village and the understanding of the gospel and the kingdom of God of her village. And another one is, you know, think about Levi or better known as Matthew, the tax collector, who's this guy who's, you know, just um, hated by his countrymen because of what he does, taking money from his own people and putting it in the pockets of their oppressors, the Romans. And yet Jesus says, I'm going to go eat with you. He goes to Matthew's house and there we find other, as scripture says, tax collectors yeah. and sinners. And this is the person of peace. And Jesus, this holy rabbi, wouldn't have rubbed shoulders with them had he not had mm. eyes to see these persons of peace that were gateways into a community. Um, so the kingdom of God spreads in ways such as this. Jesus did it. We mm. should do it today. Yeah, so you find that person of peace, they become an access point to groups of people that they're, you might not have ready access to. And instead of Josh coming in and being charismatic and gregarious and, and winning people over, yep. instead you're taking the existing relationships that that one person has built maybe even over a lifetime and sort of tapping into that and allowing their voice to be what what spreads the gospel. The last thing these villages need is another quote unquote great white hope. I got yeah. I got very little to offer in terms of coming in with my like like you say spiritual cape flapping in the wind, but there are people that God has ordained since before the foundations of the world to do the the kind of work that we're looking at doing. So, yeah. Um we, we very much piggyback off of, uh, here, here's the thing. Let me just say this. This is kind of a funny thing, but I, one of the things that I, uh, increasingly don't have tolerance for when I go to places like, for example, Haiti or different countries in Africa, especially Haiti, because there's, there's so many missionaries and, and, and organizations going there. And I'll see t-shirts on the airplane that say something like bringing hope to Haiti or, yeah. uh, you know, uh, bringing the gospel to Haiti or some, some form of that tagline. And I'm like, good mm -hmm. grief. God's been working here since long before you mm -hmm. and I were born, yeah. you know? And so that's true of these Muslim villages as well. The Holy Spirit has been at work and active through dreams and signs and wonders and visions and, and, and work that previous Christians have done and all kinds of stuff. And so we just need to have eyes to see what God is already about, yeah. what he's already doing. So you connect with that person of peace, which we believe God or, sort of ordains that connection. And then that person in peace goes and does what? That person of peace, little bit, so... To answer that question, kind of the, the big five when I talk about DMM is first kind of looking and identifying and then praying about what it is and, and where it is that God is having you go. And then you look for access into that community. And both of those first two things uh, provide the path or the way into identifying a person of peace. And then to answer your question, when you identify a person of peace, you walk with that person and all under their influence that might be willing to come as you start a discovery process with scripture. So for a Muslim, for example, Muslims and Christians can agree on a variety of things, especially in the Old Testament. And so mm. we start with creation and, um, and, and we walk them through a, a series of introductory studies as they learn to discover the word of God and Jesus for themselves. It's a creation to Christ methodology. Um, and so Jesus did this, right? Jesus didn't go in and, and, and quote unquote, get people saved. Um, and then start to disciple them. But instead, he discipled them to a saving knowledge of uh, what the kingdom was and who he was. 
Um, so in other words, like you think about Luke chapter 10, he was sending, and this is what we do in Africa. Jesus in Luke chapter 10 was sending people out, the 72, to mm-hmm. do crazy stuff, like cast out demons for crying out loud and yeah. preach the good news of the kingdom. And they didn't even know who he was. It wasn't until right. chapters later that Peter, that Peter said, Jesus asked the question, who do you, you say that I am? And they were all guessing, maybe you're this, maybe you're that. And yeah. Peter said, I think you're the Messiah. And mm-hmm. Jesus was like, bingo. Mm-hmm. They'd already been doing the work of the kingdom. In other words, they're discipled to Jesus. Um, and that's what Jesus did. And that's what we try to do. So we introduce these persons of peace and people under their influence to these teachings and to these ideas. And when the Holy Spirit allows them to click for, the, for everything to click for them, um, then, you know, baptism takes place and several things take place. But the most important thing I think that takes place is then we become coaches and mentors to them as they go out and yeah. take that maybe one village over, one household over, or whatever the case may be. So DMM, Disciple Making Movements, is multiplicative, um, uh, and that's the way Jesus did things. Yeah, it makes me think of the disciples who for years followed Jesus but didn't know at first even who Jesus was. They kind of had a hunch. They certainly didn't have a theological statement that they were ready to sign off on. There was a lot that they didn't know. They they were intrigued enough to follow. Even after he rose from the dead, it wasn't until like 300 years after that the church formed an understanding of the Trinity, for crying yeah. out loud. Yeah. You know? It so took, they were figuring it out, yeah. And Jesus allowed for that. Yeah. And, and I think we've got such a transactional nature uh, to how we call people to Christ now. It's like, come, step in, and then you're in as opposed to out. Whereas maybe Jesus was more saying, come and follow me. And then in following me, you'll be transformed. And I think that's what we see happening in these disciple-making movements a lot. As people maybe maybe looking down, instead of having a, I went to the altar, I said the prayer type of salvation experience, they're going, I'll be darned, I think... I think I actually believe this. I think Jesus is my savior. Is that is that what you're experiencing? So much, even to the point that some of the imams or the, the equivalent of kind of Muslim preachers, if you will, in yeah. some of these villages are taking some of the stories they're discovering into the mosque and teaching them as if it's from the Quran. <laughs> wow. uh, we've heard stories like that. So it's just crazy. Yeah, absolutely. People, a reliance on the Holy Spirit to allow people to discover the word of God for themselves instead of saying, oh, it's like this, 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 and this. That's not how Jesus did it. You think mm-hmm. about parables. I mean, the vast majority of Jesus's teachings are in parables and he let people chew on it. They had to wrestle with the scripture. You look back at the, the Israel, you know, uh, this, this idea of Jacob and what I think Genesis chapter 32 is his name is changed to Israel, which means he who wrestles with God, it's yeah. old Testament, it's new Testament. We're, mm. we're allowed, we're given permission because of the dignity that God gives us to wrestle with scripture and discover it for ourselves. But the good news is that the Holy Spirit walks with us in that process. He did it for you and me. Mm-hmm. He does it for Muslims and Cote d'Ivoire. And he'll continue to do that until I believe every tribe and tongues mm-hmm. uh, hears. So this person of peace gathers a group of folks. They're being coached along the, this person, the individual, the person of peace is being coached along the way. This group forms generally how it works. They study scripture together. And then the focus is on being obedience-based. Why don't you say a thing or two about that? Yeah, they don't just study scripture together, but the, my definition, people, some people argue with me on this, but my personal understanding of a church is a, a, a group of baptized believers and not, and are at least moving toward baptized believers that study the word of God and do what it says. And so these groups are very much encouraged to, um, after they've studied the scripture, challenge each other. Um, how are we going to put this into practice? What does this look like? 
for us individually and corporately as a group. And so, like, I'll give you one example. In uh, one village that um, we were working in, there was the, a, a form of female genital mutilation um, taking place. And you, know, you hear about things like that in some cultures in the world. And it's, it's awful. And it's, it's, but anyway, through the study of scripture and through understanding of the value that we have and, and different things that were taking place, not only did this practice stop in one particular village, mm. it, ha- it happened organically. No missionary came in and said, you shouldn't be doing that. It happened yeah. organically. But um, a lot of things related to polygamous marriages and things like that are being explored. And some villages are wrestling mm. with that. And it's no missionary, no foreign European or American or whatever coming in and saying, you shouldn't do that. That's not ethical. That's not up to what Geneva code or whatever, whatever it is that decides <laughs> yeah. what's right and wrong. It's right. the Holy Spirit bringing people into an understanding and they're being obedient to this life-giving stuff. It's not this um, obedience that's dragged out of them, uh, yeah. but it's something that they want to do because of falling in love with Jesus. Yeah. I was reading a book recently. I was challenged by the idea of our, our sort of default church model in our context here in the U.S. is really more information-based than obedience-based. And it was being contrasted with DMM, where in DMM, you're going to stay on a, a subject or a concept, an idea, until the vast majority of people in the group are actually doing that thing. Whereas in a church environment, like we're, like we're familiar with here, Um, it's more information-based, which means um, we don't wait until the great majority of the congregation is actually doing the thing that we're teaching. It's just whenever the sermon series is done, then we go on to the next sermon series. But what but whereas in DMM, they're saying we're going to stay here until we're actually doing it. Because the point is not to consume the information. The point is to hear it and then actually obey it. Yeah, it absolutely, like the whole DMM thing, which I would argue is, is it's not some new system. It's, it's once again, it's what Jesus did is it seems contrary to our culture here in the, you know, the Western world, the Western church where, you know, we're, we're individualistic. Um, we are influenced by, you know, uh, existentialism, frankly, and a lot of different things that have creeped into the psyche of who we are that make us individuals where we don't want to rely on anyone else, but instead Mm. we have to be the ones to create and form who we are individually, not corporately. Whereas a lot of parts of the world, including in West Africa, and I I would argue in Jesus's day, what his society would have looked like. um, And N.T. Wright is a great person to read when you, if you want to know more about ancient Palestine, what Jesus society looked like. Um, Decisions were made together, uh, ethical decisions. And it wasn't even just the family. It It would be villages. It would be communities that would say, hey, this is who we're going to decide to be. And that seems restrictive to us. Um, but just think about all the problems that come from an individualistic society where yeah. we don't have anybody to rely on. It's good luck. And we see marriages and everything else falling apart because uh, the buck stops with us. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case with some of these group with, with almost all of these groups that we're working with. Yeah, they're saying we're going to camp out on this scripture and, and we're going to wrestle with it together, which is beautiful, mm-hmm. by the way, um, until God changes us individually and, and as a community. Yeah. So tell me if I'm oversimplifying this, but these groups, um, as they study scripture, they're looking to actually obey the scripture. Part of the obedience involves sharing the good news with others and what they're experiencing from scripture and in their own lives. And then that leads to growth and more people being involved, which leads to the multiplication of groups um, and new leaders and new leaders being coached uh, by the system in place. Is that- yeah. yeah, one of the questions in every single Discovery Bible study that we, that we do 
um, is who are you going to share this with this week? Yeah. Um, and another question that we talk about is, uh, as a group, how are we going to practice what we've learned this week? So, for example, if there's something in there about, I don't know, for example, I don't know, loving your neighbor as yourself, what does that look like for us as a group, and how are we going to flesh that out um, yeah. both individually and corporately? And so those questions are in uh, every single group that we do. I mean, it's, and, then, and then, by the way, the, the, every single group that gets together also comes back the next week and says, how'd you do? What'd that yeah. look like? Yeah. Give us an update. And, and once again, that would horrify our churches here, yeah, I think. Yeah, get out of my face. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but there, it's a time of testimony. And mm-hmm. a, a testimony, I think, is something largely lost on a lot of churches in the West yeah. where people are giving freedom because, you know, we, we're so afraid to offend or whatever because people are scary and they say crazy things, especially mm-hmm. if they have like a microphone or something in their mm-hmm. hands. But testimony has a long tradition throughout the church. And, um, and I think that we see that creeping into... Um, are not creeping in that it's a, it's a part of the DNA of these groups that we're working with. And yeah. so people aren't scared to come and share. They're excited. They're like, Oh man, no, God actually responded. Mm-hmm. He answered my prayer. He healed my mom. He did this, that, the other. Um, and that's, that's really, uh, something that we're seeing in a lot of these yeah. groups. Yeah. So these groups grow, they multiply, um, help us understand the language around generation. Cause I've heard you talk about multiple generations. Let's make sure we know what that is. Yeah. So, uh, with DMM, we often talk about a, a generational approach to multiplication. Um, and we don't look at addition. So addition, in, when you talk about doing evangelism, it might be something like what we're more familiar with. I, Josh Armstrong, I'm going to go to you, Aaron McCarter, preach the gospel, and then I'm going to get so excited when you're saved, and then I'm going to go to the next person. Right. But with the generational concept, like for example, um, I think we're going to maybe talk a little bit more about specific people groups that we're working with in a little bit. But the first people group that we worked with were the World Dugu people um, in the north of Cote d'Ivoire. We started with um, a catalytic team of uh, of church planters, basically, that we trained, we spent a lot of time with, about a year with, before we sent them out to essentially mm-hmm. launch the first generation of Discovery Bible Studies, So they, which means they identified persons of peace and they started Bible studies in their yeah. homes or wherever it was that they started these. Um, I believe there were like 11 that they started initially. I can't remember. It was 11 or 12. And then ge- that would be the first generation, so those first mm-hmm. set of groups that the catalytic team started. The next generation would be people coming out of those groups, not the original church planters, but people coming out of that first generation going to what we would call the second generation. Right. Um, and and ideally, you would like uh, things to spread out like a tree. So not just grow up tall or not just grow out wide, but, but branch out, flower out, if you will, um, both deep and wide in a generational approach. And so with the World Dugu now, we have 11 generations of churches that can track themselves and tell you what generation they are. They can be like, incredible. So it's not one group that started 11 other groups. Absolutely not. That would only be one generation. So it's, one generation after, just like a like this is my dad, my grandfather, absolutely, and so on. yeah, absolutely. and they take great pride in that, and that, yeah, and that's also something that's really interesting in African cultures too, not exclusively African cultures. I, I definitely think you can um, bleed, bleed into what eleven generations about here. is a lot. It's it's crazy. That's man. incredible. It's unbelievable. So, in fact, I was talking with people that have done DMM for a long time, and it's it's pretty extraordinary. Like God's really blessed that particular movement. Eleven generations in how long? Man, I guess total time we could say four years but three years that uh that the first the team that we'd worked with actually launched it so we once again you start slow in order to go fast later we started with four individuals heavily invested in them and then 
continue to walk and coach them as they started the first generation three years ago. So in about three years' yeah. time, 11 generations. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. So what's that look like in terms of groups that are meeting? Uh, with looks, the, looks, am I saying this right? We're, we're, no, I'm not. Wuradugu. Wuradugu. So we now are engaging. In Cote d'Ivoire. Cote d'Ivoire. Cote d'Ivoire. Ivory Coast. I'm calling it Ivory Coast forever now because you rolled your eyes. I, I did not it. roll my eyes. Let the record show. We actually have somebody else in the room. You can talk to them later. His name is Grady Milligan. Grady, you want to settle this? Did he make a face or did he not make a face? I did roll the eyes of my heart, as you are prone to say, but not my eyes, my actual eyes. Okay, so... Aaron, you asked um, how many people groups, um, excuse me, how many groups. So we now are engaging three unreached people groups, um, uh, all three of which are in the north of Cote d'Ivoire, which is uh, all of them are predominantly Muslim. And the first unreached people group was called the Word of Dugu. The second was called the Mao, and the third is the Koyaga. We just started with the Koyaga. Mao? The Mao. Mao. M-A-H-O-U. Not Mao as in the Chinese Mao Zedong that you're thinking about, but yeah, Mao. Mao. There you go. And okay. then the third is the Koyaga. Koyaga. There you go. Yeah. The first is the 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 Warodugu, and so we've been working with them now, like I said, for three years, four uh, years when you count the yeah. training. Um, and there are now 1,466 disciples, almost all of which were Muslim, as of last week. That was the latest <laughs> report I got. So 1,466. Yeah, we've identified 32 leaders that we think are going to be catalytic leaders that can go to other people groups out of the War of Dugu. So these are people that early wow. on caught the vision and are planting groups themselves. So it's not just our four planters that we originally right. trained. We have solid groups that are, are solid leaders that are have emerged and have like are starting to excel. And then as far as the number That's of groups, incredible. which you asked about, there are yeah. 172 groups amongst the World Dugu, representing. I'm not exactly sure how many villages, but I know it's now over 30 villages. Wow! Um, once again, 11 generations of churches, and there are actually six of these groups that have said, "Hey, we'd really like to like have a building and form our own building," and so they have a, a building, and they're actually. Mm-hmm functioning as a church while not losing, I mean, what we would think of as a traditional church, yeah. while not losing their DMM DNA. Yeah. DMM DNA, that's a lot of... <laughs> Three, a lot of TLAs. It is, yeah. 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 So that's the word Dugu. And then, you know, if I could go ahead and just tell you what the, the next people group is. Go for I, won't, it, I won't go into as much detail, but we, the, I told you the second one is the Mao. And I'm saying all this just for our church and anybody else who may be listening, just to praise God, because it's really incredible. But we started with them last year. They're already to the four, excuse me fifth generation. There are 193 disciples with them in a year's time. Um, there are several key leaders that have emerged, and uh, there are 26 groups that are meeting there. Um, and then there's some other smaller groups that have met outside of these people groups that we mentioned, uh, which I don't have time to tell you all about those. And then now we're launching the third, which is the Koyaga. And then coming up soon, we're launching an urban initiative with DMM to really target some of the big cities in Cote d'Ivoire. So gosh, so much strategy and vision behind all that. We don't have time to discuss it all. I'd love to talk with people more about that, but, um, but God's just blessing the heck out of all this stuff. Yeah. So Things are things are off and running with the first people group. You're in the fifth generation with the second people group, mm-hmm. and the foundation's being laid for the third people group. If we, yeah. we're 
you're, you're in the gathering leaders and training stage? Yes, or? yes we are. And, and, and so we began the training uh, two weeks ago. I did a little more training the following week. Some of our key of warrior leaders are part of the training. So we've we've trained trainers in, in, in Cote d'Ivoire now, and they're, they're part of that. And then we have another team going <laughs> in June that is going to be doing ex an extensive week-long kind of boot camp, if you will, yeah. um, doing some extensive training. But these are a lot of numbers. And if you're listening to this, you're probably getting like a little bogged down in definitions and numbers and like methodology and stuff. But I'd love to tell you a quick story related yeah. to that first people group. The Warodugu, as I mentioned, in our church here in East Tennessee has been praying for this people group and giving toward this for several years now. And so if you're listening to this and you've kept up with everything over the last few years, this story I think will mean a lot to you. Just a few nights ago, right before I got back, I'm sitting with the four original church planters that we were working with, that we mm -hmm. trained, and they're in tears. It's, a, it's nighttime. We're sitting in a circle. It's still hot outside. There's mosquitoes flying all around. And I hear no fewer than five um, calls to prayer from mosques that are just surrounding us. I mean, the, you, you know, here we live in the Bible Belt, and there's a, a church at every street corner. There's a yeah. mosque at every street corner in this area that we're working with. And, um, and I'm, so I'm hearing all these calls to prayer, and they're both ominous and beautiful at the same time. Yeah. Um, because I know that so many people are 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 are, are you know, being called into that at that particular time. And, and yet I'm sitting there with our four original church planters. A couple of them are weeping as they're telling me stories of healings and mm. of miraculous conversions and of just unbelievable things that are happening um, with literally hundreds and hundreds of new believers that never would have heard the gospel mm. otherwise. And so in the midst of all these calls to prayer all around me, I'm hearing these beautiful stories from people who have been faithful uh, mm -hmm. who, by the way, have received per persecution as a result of this. Sure. One guy in particular who's one of our original four was a Muslim himself, and his name's David. And David speaks very bad French, so I have problems communicating with him. His first language is Warodugu. Mm -hmm. And so he switches to Warodugu, and Musa, uh, one of our main partners, is translating. And David says, he, as he's weeping, he's like, I never thought God would have used a guy like me to do something mm -hmm. like this. Yeah. So I'm hearing these calls to prayer. I'm hearing these testimonies. And I just am crying, saying, I can't believe God lets us be a part of this. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Praise the Lord, man. I love it. I love it. This is, I mean, this is really incredible stuff. I, I this is... I, I know there is a lot of definitions and, and numbers and, you know, I don't we want to give a static report here, but it's remarkable what God is doing. And it's it's and I'm, I'm pumped about it. So uh, t tell us a little bit about these sustainable projects, because uh, our involvement is going to I mean, it sounds like I mean, once things really get going, we're going to stay involved as far as leadership and training, et cetera. Uh, but as far as funding this, these startups, um, we're using sustainable projects to keep them going. Um, maybe I came around that in the wrong. No, no, you're around the wrong way. But yeah, flesh that out for us. Yeah, I really want our church, and yeah, to go back to some things that might bore some people. But for those of you who are wondering how all this comes about, it's so important to be. We believe three things as we go into a country, especially with the bad track record that Europe and the United States has in terms of colonialism and all these different um, things that have unfortunately happened over the last few hundred years of history. Yeah. Um, so we very much want to empower people to do the work that God has called them to since before the foundations of the earth. And for us, we really
really believe that means to empower them to be three things. That is self-sufficient, which we'll talk about that and it's related to your question. Yeah. Self-propagating, or in other words, multiplying. We're certainly yep. doing that with DMM. And self-governing, meaning that the United States or Europe or nobody are controlling what is happening in that country. But they were walking in relationship with key leaders as they began to take ownership of what God is doing among them. Yeah, so, so we're not building an empire and we don't have anybody under our thumb. We're, we're coming alongside yeah. God's kingdom and not building our empire. Amen. Absolutely. So Amen. it's self-sufficient, self-governing, self-propagating. That's the goal. And we think we're really on track with self-governing. We've got, a, for example, in Cote d'Ivoire, we have a board of Ivoirian leaders who make mm -hmm. all the decisions now, which is really fast. It's, it's rare, but we've got some trusted uh, leaders with a proven track record, with a lot of integrity that are making the governing decisions for the vineyard in Cote d'Ivoire. Um, and then self-propagating, obviously that's happening because uh, we've, we've talked about this generational concept. Groups are being formed and they're multiplying. Per persons of peace and leaders are multiplying. When it comes to self-sufficiency, it's really, really hard. It's one of the, the banes of uh, mission work for so many missionaries that have been frustrated because when they leave, a lot of things fall apart. And a lot of times it seems to be related to money. Sure. And so we said early on, how are we going to remedy this? What does this look like for us? And in having so much clear dial, uh, dialogue with our Ivoirian partners and leaders, we came to the conclusion that some seed money for some businesses that would be controlled by the governing board in Cote d'Ivoire could work. And so starting slow with that and, um, and starting with some, um, some businesses that would provide jobs, and we really especially are looking to provide jobs for Muslims that we're looking to witness to. And so a lot of the people mm. we're looking to provide jobs for are actually Love Muslims it. in Cote d'Ivoire. Um, and diversifying not only the businesses, the business startups that we have, but also the locations and the regional areas that we're going to be working in Cote d'Ivoire. So in 2019, we started a five-year plan for seed money to start businesses and the, uh, that would be overseen by the governing board in Cote d'Ivoire and that we would coach and walk in relationship with as these things come about. And so we wanted to start with a small amount of money and an easier business and move into more intricate businesses. Mm -hmm. So startup businesses look like simple things, motorcycles to provide uh, transportation services and, and then eventually car washes, which believe it or not in the big cities are a, a big deal. So Abidjan, yeah. you can find car washes everywhere. Uh, hair salons, they're yeah. everywhere. Uh, boulangerie, a bakery, uh, yeah. uh, everywhere. It's meeting basic bar. needs that people have. Basic needs, basic yeah. needs. And so we're providing jobs and then the, the money made going into the administrative costs and the cost of launching DMMs, uh, movements, if you will, with unreached people groups out of Cote d'Ivoire and not out of the United States. Um, yeah. So the vineyard, and this will also provide stability for the vineyard church that's emerging in Cote d'Ivoire mm -hmm. um, so that it can get healthy and eventually have, you know, use its own tithes and offerings in church to do a lot of these things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, five-year plan, providing seed money with the goal of at the end of that um, being very close, if not completely sustainable in country. Wow. And that way we can continue to put our dollars toward the next people, people groups, group. yeah. Yeah, new people groups, even other countries that we're looking at going yeah. into. Um, it's already working. We just started mm -hmm. with some transportation services and we're already on the way. Uh, we started with $5,000. Um, yeah. And uh, it's not a lot of money to start a business. Not a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, they are already on track to making that money back the first year with that That's initial incredible. seed money. And we're about to launch our first car wash. Uh, yeah. It cost 10 grand because they're actually pretty nice businesses there and you have to do it right and it's a competitive market in Abidjan it's pretty yeah. sophisticated um, 
society there. And so, um, but we think the turnover on that can be just huge. That's and incredible. we're going to go from there. And eventually we're going to get more sophisticated with our sustainable projects. So things such sure. as uh, phone franchises and stuff like that. Yeah. We're getting a lot of advice on what that can look like. So I just want our church to know that I feel like um, our church and the partner churches we're working with, with other vineyard churches, are stewarding the money really, really well. Yeah. Moving towards sustainability. Yeah. Every single part of that just sounds like joining God in the renewal of all things. Absolutely. At every single step. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. So you're starting these businesses, and of course, the money all comes back to us, and then we send it back to them, right? Negative. It all <laughs> stays. They control the money. Yeah. We're not asking them to pay a cent back. Um, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, um, but we've just chosen. But I like it this way. Yeah. And we've also, I, I wish people could just, because uh, there might even be some like red flags going off with some people, maybe even that have done some work in Africa, because certainly there have been there's been money mismanaged and all that. The leaders that we're working with have a proven track record, and specifically even before we got to know a couple of the people that are now on the board, they have a, a history of working with international partners. Um, so yeah. we actually landed just some people that the God just basically <laughs> gave to us, gifted to us to help yeah. us. Um, so we're not working with rookies. We're working with unbelievable partners that have mm -hmm. a ton of integrity and a proven track record. I love it. I love it, man. All right. So... Uh, that's unbelievably encouraging. So tell me about the second part of your trip, because you kind of had a two-phase trip, right? You got the updates and got to kind of see what's going on on Ivory Coast, and then there was sort of a phase two to your trip. There was a three-phase trip, three actually. Phase. All right, yeah, well, yeah. then fill me in. Tell there me what very, I don't know. There was a very brief exchange with uh, a few partners in uh, in South Africa, and I don't want to disclose too much, but some of the people that yeah. we're working with and partnering with in South Africa have a real heart for DMM and sustainable projects, and so yeah. uh, we've been building relationships with them for a while to see if we can put our heads together to do all that you've heard me talk about. Mm. Um, the second phase was in Ghana, and the vineyard in Africa, in the continent-wide, has a gathering of vineyard leaders. Um, some people may not know this, but the vineyard has uh, been um, in Africa, in some countries in Africa, all uh, Anglophone or English speaking for over 20 years so now. So you mean the Vineyard USA? You're not talking about our Vineyard Church here Well, the Vineyard Maribel. USA, but then, uh, gosh, that's a bigger conversation. If, if, yeah. if you don't know, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but basically uh, vineyards that are wholly autonomous within their respective country are called AVCs or Association of Vineyard Churches. Yep. So the United States was the first, of course, and then came along several others, Australia, Canada, Great, uh, Great Britain, etc. South Africa was the first in Africa. Mm -hmm. There are now three AVCs in Africa. So there's South Africa, Africa, Kenya, and Zambia. Yeah. We're well on our way. I think we could very well be the, the fourth. I, I'm optimistic mm -hmm. that we could be the fourth Ivory ABC. Coast. Ivory Coast could be the fourth. Um, so. But uh, anyway, so but but if they haven't become an ABC yet, and but still have vineyard churches and are moving toward that, then a lot of their leaders come to the conference that I was at in Ghana. And so I went there with two of our key leaders from Cote d'Ivoire, who are Musa and Danny. And Musa was actually given a platform to do a DMM training with our vineyard leaders there. Nice. And he crushed it. I mean, it's unbelievable. They're, they're now asking a bunch of us to go to their countries and teach. They're like, sure. how is all this happening? We're at, we can't reach Muslims. We're not multiplying like this. And so yeah. some of these countries, have, and, and they're doing great works. You but know they what, just I, what I love so much approach. about the vineyard is just how pragmatic it is. Like, let's do what works. Let's see what the father's doing sure. and join him in it. Is it working? Right on. Let's go. Let's 
kill the sacred cows that need to, you know, yeah. let's get rid of all the baggage. Let's do what's fruitful, what's working. You're showing them something that's fruitful, that's working, and they're saying, sign us up. Yeah, and so, and, and we also got to build relationships. You know, Musa and Danny are top two leaders uh, in terms of like what they're doing and the amount of influence they have in Cote d'Ivoire. Um, they, uh, they got to build some relational equity with some of our other continent-wide uh, vineyard partners, and that was really good and encouraging for them and all the way around. So, um, yeah, and then went to the third leg, which was in Cote d'Ivoire, where we did a lot of stuff, Met, uh, started the work on the third Unreached People group, um, got to meet with our board, got to do a lot of long-term vision planning, mm. a lot of other stuff, too. So yeah. it was a very productive, fruitful trip. Yeah, good. Man, this is really helpful. Let me let me just shift gears for a minute here, and I think my, real quickly here, we're probably getting short on time here, but if you can, I think there's a piece of this that we may not understand sort of in general, at, at, like in our church, is uh, this partnership piece. So um, we are spearheading some stuff, we're doing some stuff on our own, but we're not doing everything on our own, we're working with other churches. Will you kind of tell us how partnerships work in the vineyard, what we're a part of, and where things are trending with those things. Yeah, so the vineyard, in terms of, you know, the vineyard's a very new movement. It started, what, 40-some-odd years ago um, out of California. And uh, Wimber, John Wimber, was one of our founding uh, fathers kind of early on, uh, kind of um, pushed the brakes a little bit on doing uh, overseas mission work. Um, and uh, for a variety of reasons, I think, and in, in, in now, uh, in hindsight, we're very healthy, but so the uh, vineyard missiology has evolved. And now over the last, uh, I don't know, decade, probably a little bit longer than that or so, uh, the, the Vineyard USA has said, hey, we are going to work in partnerships, meaning um, it's not going to be one church launching something in some random country and hoping for the best, but we're going to partner with other vineyards, not only in the United States, but if, if it allows uh, in other countries where there are vineyards also, we're going to put our resources together, our expertise, our prayers, all of yeah. those things Let's together. Let's do together what we couldn't do on our own. Exactly. We can go farther together. And so, um, so for example, our church, uh, we're part of two international partnerships, and that is uh, Haiti, um, who, which we didn't start, and Cote d'Ivoire, the Ivory Coast, which we did start. Mm -hmm. um, and with the Haiti partnership, I, I may be talking about that if we have time here in a minute, a little more. We're one of five churches, all of which are in the United States. Um, I think we have a sixth that's about to come on, actually. Nice. And in Cote d'Ivoire, we have four. Uh, we are one of four churches. So we started it, and we were slowly able to recruit other churches in the United States that caught the vision and said, hey, we can do this together. Uh, and, un and adopt unreached people groups and help fund this and pray for it and all this stuff. Yeah, so we're not alone. We're not alone. Yeah. yeah. Alone. And by the way, the churches we're partnering with are incredible. I'm yeah. good friends with their, their pastors and some of their leaders, and they have the same vision, same heart, same, same heart for the kingdom. So yeah, and there are other churches. We have to get necessarily into the list or the specifics, but there are other churches that aren't even in the vineyard that are jumping on board some places kind of in town, am I right, to say that other churches are getting involved as far as what's happening in Haiti or with helping us reach un, unreached people groups? Absolutely, man. Yeah. You know, we just, our, our church here in East Tennessee, our vineyard church here in East Tennessee, I, one of the things I love about our church is I feel like we, we're not, uh, we're not vineyard only. We are kingdom people. And we just believe mm -hmm. that we're one tribe, maybe not even the best one, probably not the best one, mm -hmm. uh, with many, many other tribes that are doing the work of the kingdom. And so we partner with even here in town, we partner, we, I, I can just off the top of my head, we partner with Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Anglicans and, uh, and others. And so, yeah, we're, we've got a lot of partners and I hope to have even more in the future. Yeah, that's awesome. 
All right, man. Give us uh, give us a quick rundown. We you know our mission. We got our feet wet in this uh, church when it comes to missions uh, around Haiti. So there's a lot of us who. Uh, love and care deeply about what's happening in Haiti. And there is still so much going on there that we're a part of. Uh, so can you give us like a quick kind of summary, man? What's what's happening in Haiti these days? Yeah, we have not pumped the, ba- the brakes on Haiti. Haiti yeah, is right. as strong and as awesome as ever. Hmm. Um, I won't go into all the history, but just as far as what's happening now, the main organizations that our church directly partners with are first the Vineyard Haiti partnership that we just talked about and all that they have going. And right now that looks mostly like planting vineyard churches in Haiti. And so we're very much a part of that process. And I think God's used our church to really help in that. Mm-hmm. Um, we also are some of these DMM principles are being absolutely, taught shared, right? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Some, fruit. some of them came out, uh, came about some of those vineyard churches came about with the next thing I'll talk about, which is something that we were uh, very much a part of as, as a family living in Haiti, which was, Simple Church Ministries, overseen yeah. by one of my best buddies, Gabriel Lindor, or yeah. Gabe, as many of you know him. And uh, Gabe actually goes with me to Cote d'Ivoire a lot now. To, but he does. It's a DMM ministry that has over 800 groups, meaning all over the country <laughs> of Haiti. Um, and cool. so it's incredible. We partner closely with them, and they partner closely with the Vineyard, and so it's this beautiful relationship. Um, and then we also have the Freedom House, which is a um, was and still is uh, to a large extent uh, what you might think of as a traditional children's home or orphanage in Haiti, but is transitioning into more of a family empowerment program. Mm. Uh, I could talk a long time about that, but we just purchased a wonderful piece of property and we're starting to build uh, right outside of Port-au-Prince. And we currently have 27 kids that we're housing. And um, when they age out, we're not going to continue to take in kids, but instead are going to basically do something similar to a foster care program. Um, So there's a lot of updates. I know a lot of you might have questions about that. I'd love to talk with you about it, but also a community development center. So the Freedom House is moving Mm -hmm. toward a family empowerment and community development center. Um, We're going to provide services that we're not seeing a lot in Haiti. Things such as um, sexual education is such an important thing to be taught and specifically Mm -hmm. Christian sex ed. Um, And that's one of like a ton of different classes that we're hoping to provide to the community. Um, Certainly helping out single moms and um, just becoming a family Mm -hmm. resource center, but much more And to be clear, this is in addition to essentially the, the day-to-day operations where you're caring for children day absolutely, in day Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Our 27 kids, we're, we're, 27 we, we, have a, we have a plan to provide a transitional program for them after they uh, quote-unquote age out, after they're 18, so post-18 plan, which will involve both jobs and tech schools and scholarships. Um, so there's all kinds of things happening with the Freedom House. I know my wife, mm-hmm. Amanda, would love to talk to the listeners about that. So um, certainly uh, she's easy to get a hold of. Most of you know who she is. Uh, but but Amanda and one of our partner churches, that's not a vineyard, Blunt Community Church, another yeah. church very dear to our hearts, but yeah, right across the them. town here, uh, partners with us to help with the Freedom House. And then finally with Haiti, we partner with the Abercrombies. Mm-hmm. And it's great to finish our talk on Haiti uh, discussing the Abercrombies, just a sweet family of four uh, that have that are from our local church here in Maryville, the which was the, the first church, uh, vineyard church here in East Tennessee. And um, they have been a part of our church for a long time. Yeah. As Amanda and I and our family were transitioning out of Haiti, they transitioned in to take over a clinic that we had envisioned and now have started their own ministry called Access Health Alliance. And they are just crushing it. They don't yeah, they only have a, an incredible clinic in a very remote place that doesn't have access to health care, but they have plans in place to provide preventative health care to the surrounding regions and even other regions in Haiti. So 
yeah, man, just the scope of what God's allowing us to do in Haiti is still, and I would say, I would say it's still huge. I would say it's bigger than ever, and the sky's the limit on what's yeah. happening in Haiti. So I know we spent a lot of time on Africa. Haiti stuff's rocking and rolling, it's man. It's rolling. It's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. You okay? Uh, dude, You're it's right? not me, man. Honestly, like, God has just blessed us with innumerable partners, and he's yeah. just blessed it. So, yeah, I just get to, like, cheer everybody on and say... Yeah, you're doing good. Keep going. Don't give up. <laughs> All right. So then we'll just we'll just finish with this. If people are listening to this, they've made it to this point. It's because they care about what we're saying. They're excited about what's happening. Uh, what's what? What can they do next? What's the next step that could be taken for somebody who's listening and saying, "Man, I'm I'm on board for this." Well, the number one thing, if you want to find out anything at all, I just love talking about this stuff, and I love having coffee. <laughs> and so, buy me a cup of coffee and let's talk. Uh, or don't. I'll buy you a cup of coffee. But either way, let's talk. And yeah, my emails josh.armstrong at vineyardchurch.us. That's a great place to start just on for the basic stuff. And then beyond that, we've got opportunities to, to pray, to give, to go, um, including prayer teams, including teams that go to these places, including um, certainly ways to give through our website. So vineyardchurch.us and, and go to missions and, and check out uh, ways to give. You can give specifically, but we love it when people give just uh, two missions at our church because it helps us, um, you know, identify identify what the most important needs are and, and do that. But either way, yeah, certainly give your dollars, your, your time, your talent, your treasure. One of the things that uh, we launched this last year, and I'll say it real briefly, is something called 12 for 12. And actually, if you come to any of our three uh, vineyard locations here in East Tennessee, you can pick up a, a packet that talks about our mission work and what 12 for 12 is. But it's basically giving $12 a month to, uh, and it identifies 12 different things, many of which we've talked about today yeah. that uh, are part of our missional effort. Mm -hmm. And so that's one really easy, practical way that you can give. $12 a month goes a long way and we're needing more people to sign up for that so lots of ways to give to yeah and if we just happen to like really love the armstrong family how can we be praying for team armstrong you know man this the simple stuff that's going to sound so cliche pray, pray for our marriage pray which we're awesome but pray for yeah. our marriage because i don't take it for granted um pray for my kids we got ellie and emerson our two kids and um yeah man like we we just uh god's i think um wanting to take us to even deeper places with a lot of this stuff as a family. We're looking a lot at what DMM looks like for us locally um, and, yeah. and exploring some things and uh, want to be challenged as a family to not just do things all over the world, but to, to be who God's called us to be right in our own backyard. So that's, there's lots of ways you can pray for us, but those are a few ways yeah. for sure. I love it, man. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for the update. We should know what's going on now, but if people have questions, they know how to get to you. Josh.Armstrong at VineyardChurch.us. Yeah, and thank you guys for all the support. I love our church, and thank you, Aaron. Aaron's always been so encouraging. We've, we've had people that have encouraged this whole thing and, and um, flown the right flags along the way to make it happen. So, yeah. Love it, man. Thanks a bunch. Peace. Well, all right. This has been great. Hopefully, you have been encouraged by hearing all that God is doing through missions uh, at the Vineyard and that uh, you'll continue praying and being engaged in all the ways. We'll wrap this up like we do, I think, just about all of these podcasts um, by saying our vineyard prayer together. Uh, so feel free to join me uh, on your own, wherever you're at. Um, you can out loud or in your own heart um, in saying our prayer together now. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you alone are King. 
Give us wisdom, courage, and kindness that we might bear your image well. Unify us in heart, soul, and purpose that the world might know your love. Make us your hands generous and compassionate. Make us your feet valiant and steady. In service to you and all you've created, give us love greater than fear. Onward for your kingdom, we're declaring your worth, finding our worth in you, and joining you in the renewal of all things. Amen. All right, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.